two, two. All righty. Okay, I'll grab your back. Well done for, hello. Good, good to see you. Well done for attempting to talk through your mask. Um, put your hands up if you're, a, uh, if you're a virgin mask wearer tonight. Yeah, look at that. I am. It's the first time I've ever had to put one on, I think. And I don't think I've been breaking rules. So if it's your first time, you're probably just probably full of the experience of this thing on your face. And that can consume your thinking and all that right now. But uh, I'm going to pray in just a minute that you would be free to actually engage and listen and think into the scriptures and hear the voice of God tonight, even in a midst of a bit of discomfort and maybe anxiety or whatever might be happening for you. I'll pray that just in a minute. I've seen some interesting mask wearing technique tonight. Um, you can tell when people are rookies and they put it on and it's on the back of their head to start with. Some people have had it upside down. Apparently there's a bit where you're meant to have it there. Is that right? Um, mine kept, whenever I was talking, because I think it's because i got a beard, it just kept creeping down. As soon as you talk, it sneaks down. Um, so I don't know if that's a beard thing. Um, uh, Richie walked in and it was just over his eyes. So <laughs> I don't know what good that's going to do. Um, Anyway, apparently the only way to get out of wearing a mask is to actually um, get some roll up front. So if you want a break of wearing a mask next week, just lead the singing for us or do what Craig just did. Just do something up front and you get to have a little bit of a little bit of reprieve. Um, I'm going to be attempting to be a little shorter tonight just because of the experience that some of you might be having. I'll be attempting to do that. And I've got a whiteboard. I'm going to attempt to scribble with a black pen on the whiteboard. So hopefully that helps too. So if you're taking notes, you might be able to copy what I do. How about I pray for us and we'll dive into this. Father God, we, we are here and aware of some different circumstances and experiencing all kinds of things in our minds and hearts right now and in our faces right now. But what, what we desire to do is connect with each other, you know, be able to look each other in the eye as brothers and sisters. And ultimately what we desire to do is to together hear your voice. We, we acknowledge we need to hear you speak to us. We need your guidance in life. We need to be oriented back to what matters. And it's you who tells us who we are, why we're here and how to live. And we want to hear it again in this moment. Please help us to be open and faithful and obedient in our response to your word to us tonight. Amen. Um, there is something a little disorienting about change. And, and here it kind of comes for us again. More change than we've had before, wearing masks and things. And in the midst of the disorientation, there can be all kinds of things that we can be experiencing. It, it, it might just be that you just really engage and get even busier than usual because you kind of have to to figure out how to do what you normally do in the midst of this. And, and then an exhaustion comes because you're busier than usual. Some of you might be feeling a little bit confused about life and what you're meant to be doing or how you're meant to be doing it. There can be all kinds of things. Some of you might just be feeling generally anxious or more anxious than usual because we all experience anxiety at certain times. In the midst of all those types of feelings that some of you may be experiencing, um, it's disorientating. And so what we need is to be oriented. Does that make sense? Now, last week, Darcy gave us some cracking illustrations. And if you missed the sermon last week, make sure you get it on the podcast and um, catch up. But Darcy talked about the, the compass of your heart. 
and um, you know which way your heart points you. Um, it was really helpful, and I think that concept of being oriented in life or grounded in life is just so important, particularly when you step into uncertain times where they're a bit disorientating. What we need is to be be able to answer the big questions of life very easily so that you can settle your spirit, know what's going on and know how to actually direct yourself through the course of life. I actually think these are the big questions of life and these are the big questions that get addressed in the passage tonight and so this is what we're going to look at. The big questions of life are basically, um, who am I? You know? Where am I? And why am I here? They're the big ones. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17 tonight and it's going to answer these questions for us. And more than anything, in tricky seasons in life where you're feeling disorientated um, or disoriented, I think that's the way you say it, not disorientated, I'm just looking at eyes tonight. So this is new for me too. No, you can pick up a fair bit from the mouth, but eyes. Oh, I'm just going to see what I get from you tonight. Um, who you are, like who, who am I? Where am I? Why am I here? To be able to answer those questions well will not just help you in your experience of life, but actually enable you to make decisions constantly and actually to know what this is all about. It really matters. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it from Acts chapter 17. Um, There's a Mark Twain quote. Now, I don't normally quote authors, do I? But look, Mark Twain, so he, he wrote, someone say it, Huckleberry Finn, so an American author, Huckleberry Finn and um, Tom Sawyer, that's right. So I'll give you a quote from him. Here it goes. The two most important days of your life are, number one, the day you're born, and number two, the day you find out why. Yeah? Why? Why are you here? I do think our society is kind of obsessed with finding out what its meaning is. Most people really want to know what their purpose is. And I actually think for thousands and thousands of years, there's plenty of evidence to watch the human race continually search for meaning and purpose. The problem is we live in the kind of days that say this to us. Define your own purpose. So, so we love talking about purpose and you'll hear it in every sector of life. You know, what, why am I here? What am I meant to do? But really the mantra that often comes with it is, you just figure out what is your particular special thing and you do that. You know, you just come up with whatever the grand vision for your life is. You discover your own purpose. You basically just speculate or dig into your own heart and come up with, what you want to be your purpose, whatever makes sense to you and you go after that. That's typically what our world will tell you to do. Yep. Um, and it sounds good, but the problem is it actually doesn't work. And history shows that trying to come up with your own purpose doesn't work, but ultimately it doesn't work because you didn't create yourself. If you did, then you could define your own purpose and that's fine. But if someone else made you, if someone else created you, 
then surely they're the ones who have got a purpose for you and the best thing you can do with your life is come to them and say, what's this all about? What is life for? What have you made me for? Why am I here? Listen intently to that answer and let that define your purpose. Does that make sense? You didn't create yourself, so you can't come up with your own purpose. Well, you can, but if you do, it's not going to work. Ultimately, let's go to the one who actually did make us and did define our purpose. And there's no better place than Acts chapter 17. In fact, even if you've only been around here for a few months or a year since Anchor's been going, you probably know I keep coming back to this passage. It's, it's one of my favourite passages, Acts chapter 17. And it's Paul speaking to a bunch of people who are not religious at all. They've got all kinds of other beliefs. And so he goes right back and he says, all right, let's just start with looking at nature. And, and, let's, and, let's, and, and he goes through that and he gets to Jesus and it tells us everything. So it's wonderful. So come to Acts chapter 17. If you've closed your Bibles, open it back up. Here's a little bit of background. It's a speech by Paul. And if you've been with us in the series, you know Paul and Barnabas have been travelling around on their missionary journeys. And now they arrive in a place called Athens. Now you know the, the city of Athens. Well, it's been there for thousands of years. And here's the Apostle Paul turning up in the city of Athens, but he's doing it in the first century. It's a Greek city. And if you know anything about Paul, he, you know, he, he was the one who was an aggressive enemy of Christianity. He gets radically converted. Now he's a passionate believer. And so wherever he goes, he takes whatever opportunity he can to speak about Jesus and explain Jesus to people who have never heard the name and never heard about the God of the Bible, never heard of Yahweh, and, um, they don't have, and, and that's who he's speaking to here. A crowd of people who, though they've never heard about the God of the Bible, they're actually hunting constantly for meaning and purpose. You see, that's what the Greeks were like, and particularly in the city of Athens. They were really interested to hear about any kind of deity, any kind of God, any, because they, they wanted to know. They, they were intellectuals, but they really wanted to search for meaning and purpose. And so here's the situation. Paul turns up in this city and if you, you know, before, we started reading from verse 22, but if you go a little bit earlier, you find that Paul's been out preaching in the synagogue and in the marketplace. And the marketplace was the place where anyone could just stand up on their little milk crate and just have a little go at actually giving their philosophy. And, and there'd always be people who'd want to listen in the city of Athens. Everyone wanted to understand all the different gods, all the different religions, all the different philosophies in life. And as Paul is there speaking in the marketplace, um, a crowd is drawn around him. And actually pick it up there in verse... What, do, what should we do? Where should we pick it up from? Look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, just smart people who like listening to different ideas... Um, they began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? So that they don't understand what he's talking about as he speaks about Jesus and this thing called a resurrection, but they're interested to hear. And so what they do say to him is, um, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Um, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Um, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? So here's what they did in Athens. Ben, can I just get you to turn this down a touch because I just want to put it closer to my mouth. If I can just kind of lock it in there. There you go. I don't want it to boom all over you. Is that all right? Is that better? 
Um, what they did is that when they would hear someone in the marketplace speaking about something that was relatively interesting, they would invite them come, to come to this special place called the Areopagus, which was the place where um, the leading thinkers of the city could formally consider some new piece of teaching or philosophy. So Paul gets the invite to where the bigwigs go to speak about their philosophy. So he gets to come to this place called the Areopagus, verse 17, um, and um, this news about this fellow named Jesus and the concept of a resurrection, Paul gets the chance to speak about it. We're going to pick it up there in verse 22. I mean, what would you do if you found yourself in a place where you could speak to people who had never heard anything, um, but you got the chance to speak? Where do you start? Well, Paul starts by affirming them. That's the first thing he does. He encourages them about something that he thinks is really great that they're doing. Look at verse 22. He stood up in the meeting in the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at all your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Um, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So can you see what he's doing? He starts off by saying, guys, I can see that you are very religious, meaning you are searching. You are so keen to worship and you're so keen to worship that you're open to any God. And actually, you don't want to miss out on any of the gods. So you've got objects and idols in your city to cover all the gods. In fact, you're so keen to make sure you don't miss out on a God or something about truth and reality that you've even acknowledged that there must be gods you've never heard of. And God you don't know. And so you even built one and put an inscription on it saying to the unknown God, which is basically them acknowledging there's got to be a God we don't know about, maybe many of them. And so let's put an altar up and say to an unknown God. Paul picks up on that and he says, you know what? You're spot on. You're spot on. There's a God that you don't know about. And this is the God that I want to talk to you about. And, and off he goes and tells them about the God of the Bible. It's a cool way to start, isn't it? He encourages them in what he sees good and, 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 and their own acknowledgement that there's, there's, there's a God they don't know. And he, and, he, and he dives in there and he goes, okay, let me tell you. So they're open. They're open to hearing about the God they don't know. And, and, and then Paul goes and he begins to speak. And verse 24, have a look at that with me. Here's where he starts. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So the first thing God, Paul does here is he says, I'm going to tell you about a God who's nothing like the rest of your gods here, who have got idols and temples, and you bring them offerings to help them. And you've needed to build their temples. In fact, you needed to fashion them as an idol to begin with. He starts off by saying, this God, the God of the Bible, is nothing like those gods. That's the first thing he wants them to know. This God is actually the one, what's the first thing he says, is this God, the true God, the God of the Bible, is the one who made the whole world and everything in it. Now, this would have been right in their face, right off the bat, because all of their gods, different parts of creation would have been attributed to different gods. Some gods made the sun, some made the moon, some brought the rains, some you know, helped the earth be fertilised, and so they had all these gods over different regions of the world, and Paul goes, no, I'll tell you what, there's a God that's nothing like this, but he's the one who made everything. 
which is, which is basically to say, forget them all. They're not gods. There's actually just one God and he's the true God and he made everything. Can you see that? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. So that's the first thing he said. There is a God. He's the true God. He made everything. And because he made everything, it just goes by implication. He's therefore the Lord of everything. Yep, he owns everything. It's all his. And, and because he didn't just make the, the world, but he made everything in it and on it, that means all the living creatures, that means he made you too. And therefore he owns you too. And you belong to him. All of creation is dependent upon him. Yeah? So th- this, this right off the bat answers this first question. If you're a human and you exist on this earth and there's a God who made everything and everyone, then who are you? Just, just at a really basic level, the most basic level, you could describe yourself as this, you are a created being. You didn't create yourself. Someone else created you. They made you on purpose. You didn't just come about by random physical acts. You were created by someone else. So there's the most basic thing you can find out about who you are is, well, someone made me. The the, the same one who made all of creation made me. There's your first thing you want to figure out. And the other thing, actually, it answers this one. Where are you? I'm going to write it like this. You're in God's world. Yep. Because if he's the one who made it all and owns it all, then everything in this place, including you and I, is his. So you're made by him, you're a created being, and you live in his world. Now, these things you're like, yeah, come on, Tim, that's basic. No, no, no. But we need to go back to the basics. We need to continually actually revisit the basics because we very easily think other things about ourselves and the place we live in. We so easily think, who am I? Well, I'm a, I'm a self-made person. I've done all these wonderful things. And where am I? Well, I'm in my own domain. It's in the heart of mankind to actually acquire as much as we can belongings and land so that we can sit back and have these moments in life where we look out over our own kingdom, our own domain, and we look at what we call ours. And we say, it's mine. Now, not bad to own things, but you'll only own them for a little few short years and then you leave them behind anyway. The one who really owns all things is God and he owns you and so this ground you walk on anywhere you are anything you see it's all his it's all his and so what I want to do is I want to draw a picture and here's where here's where I'm getting real fancy all right this circle here there you going, Joey coming down the front mate I thought you were coming to bring me something I thought I had something hanging out or whatever here's this circle here this is this is a globe So this is the world, right? And I'm going to try and help you understand that by drawing a picture of Australia. Let's see how we go. It's going to be bad, all right? Okay, just hang in there. Um, All right, so it kind of goes up a little bit like this and then goes like that and it goes like that and it goes, come on, are we doing it? Look at that, look at that. There you go. Australia, Australia. And there's Tassie. Let's not forget about Tassie and New Zealand and... And then you've got Indo and Papua New Guinea and all that kind of stuff, all the good things up here, all the where the waves are, and then you, you're up into Asia and all that kind of stuff, right? And 
Japan and Pig Island. Where's Pig Island? Is that? I don't know. There you go. Look, there's the. That's pretty good, isn't it? There you go. All right. Thank you. There's the world. Oh, and here's you. But you've got to put yourself in it because you've got to understand how big the world is and where you belong. But God made the whole thing and then he put little old you here. Oh, that's a pretty big you, I know, but that's where you are. Maybe that's a bit too far south. That's probably more towards the unclean Greater Sydney area, which we must stay away from. Or we're quarantining and a number of anchor people are quarantining at the moment because they made the mistake of visiting. All right, stay away. All right. Um, so here's the deal. We're told this didn't come about by accident. This was actually created by someone who was intentional and purposeful, made everything and everyone including you. And because he made everything and everyone, then he's the king over it. He's the Lord over it. So let's represent God with a whopping big crown like this. And I don't know about you, but I need to look at this regularly. I need to see who I am, where I am, and get a sense of what's going on. There is a God. He is in heaven. He is the Lord of all because he's the one who made it all. And you're in his world. And we need to understand implications flow from that. I'll give you a couple. You owe your existence to him. He gave you life. The life you're living right now, it's a gift from him. His life runs through your veins. It's the only reason why you're sitting here right now. He continues to sustain your life. And he'll keep you alive for as long as he intends to keep you alive. And then this life will end for you. You, there, you belong to him. He owns your life. Your life is not your own. Now that's massive. You let some of those things like trickle down into your heart and direct the way you make decisions and live your life. Your life is not your own. It's like it's on loan from God. It's really important to hear. Secondly, you live in his world, meaning the air you breathe, it's his. You breathe his air, you eat his food, you use his stuff, it's not yours. You are dependent on him. He's not dependent on you in any way. He didn't make creation because he was lonely and he needed company or he needed us to do things for him. Completely self-sufficient in his own marvellous glory from all eternity. But he decides to create, to share his life with others. He doesn't depend on us in any way. So let me come back to the base thing again. You didn't create yourself. You don't sustain yourself. Though you might try and keep yourself healthy. Ultimately, you don't, you don't sustain your life. So therefore, you don't get to define your own purpose. It's so important to know why and ask our maker why and actually own his answer. Ponder this one for a moment. Consider the difference that it is for you walking into your own house from walking into someone else's house. You walk into your own house, you don't need to announce your arrival, you just walk in, in the back door, go straight to the fridge or plonk on the lounge, make a mess, you can do whatever you want in your own house, right? You don't need to ask anyone's permission, you basically, it's just yours, right? But it's different when you're walking into someone else's house, isn't it? Can you imagine if you walked into someone else's house like that? Instead of knocking on the front door and waiting for them to invite you in, you just walk in. Or you just like kind of walk straight in the back door. 
and, and, and you don't even really talk to them. You just go straight to the fridge. You open it up. You whinge about what's not there. And then what you do eat, you decide to just make a mess, chuck it all over the place, leave the fridge door open, and then just go sit on the lounge. And then you just sleep in whatever bed you want to sleep in. You look for some keys and you're like, there's some keys, there's a car, all right, off we go. And, and you live, like, how, how inappropriate would that be? Like, no one does that. I mean, teenagers do that, but no one else does that, right? That's just kind of your concept when you're a teenager. That's how, that's how life goes. But imagine, can you see how that may very well be how you're living in God's world? You know, you're living in His world, in His earth, but it's entirely possible for us to live without regard for the one whose house it is. Living like a spoilt teenager... Um, without talking to parents or acknowledging those who give them everything they've got. It's 97% of the population of Australia and the Coffs Coast live just like that. Live in God's world without acknowledging him, trying to love him, trying to live for him, speak to him in any way. And it's easy even for someone who calls himself a Christian. And this, this, this could be you and I to kind of say, yeah, I believe in God. But really, you're living as though it's your own house. And, and it's not at the forefront of your mind to be thinking, how do I live respectfully in someone else's world? How do I actually really honour them and acknowledge them in all my ways? What does it mean to fear God as I live? Because this is not my world, it's someone else's house. I'm gonna, you know, Even as a Christian, we can live as though we think we own this place like we made it ourselves and we can do what we want with it. We need to live carefully. We need to, at the forefront of my think, what does it mean to honour God each day with what I've been given or entrusted for a few short years? How do I live it to bring him glory, him honour? What, what does he want me to do with my life? And let that direct your decisions. What does our maker want from us? Does he just want a little head nod, just a little bit of acknowledgement? Well, we read on the passage and you, you, you find out what your maker wants from you. you. You find out the reason why he made you. We're going to get to that why. It's the big one. Ready? So coming back to, look, look at verse 26. We get told that when God did make, he made very carefully and he planned how he did it. Um, God didn't just kind of chuck some material together, give it a spin and step back and go, oh, that's interesting. Look. Australia got made or whatever. Now he's very detailed in the way he did it. Have a look at verse 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So that's a, I mean, geez, we could get into the detail of that, but that's basically just helping you know God's been very orderly and careful and very designed in the way he brought this thing about and brought you about. And he, God brought you about at the exact moment in history that he intended for you to live. It wasn't simply your parents doing the wild thing one time that actually brought you about. It was God intending for you to exist and bringing you into being at this moment in history. That's why you're here. And putting you even in this place. It talks about your location as well. You might think, no, I made decisions to move here. Or my family moved here generations ago. And there was a job. And I make decisions. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 
over, above, and underneath all of human decisions is a sovereign God who determines where you'll be. So God gave you life in this moment in history, and God put you here in coughs. Why? Why do you do that? Well, read on. Here's the, here's the big why getting answered. Verse 27. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. So why did God make you? Why did God place you? Why are you here? Verse 27. So that you would seek him, reach out for him, and find him. You exist to know your maker. That's it. You, and, and not just know about him. Oh, yeah, there's a bloke who made it all. No, but know him in an intimate sense. Know him in relationship. The kind of relationship which means you live with him and for him and you serve him and honour him. That's what you're here for. I mean, it's basic, I know, but these are the things we must keep right at the forefront of our minds and hearts every day. You exist to know him. I'll just write, know God. And particularly, I mean, if you've been in the Christian faith for a while, you know the way you know God is actually through Jesus. And we'll get to that because that's how he actually moves on through here. But just let that one sink in for a bit. That's why you're here. You're not here just to create the perfect family that you didn't come from. You're not here just to have epic experiences so you can, others can be jealous of all the places you've been. You're not here just to accumulate more property. You're not here just to live in the kind of way that everyone else or your peers kind of look at you and go, yeah, they're nailing it. That's not what you're here for, ultimately. Like, what are the other things that kind of really, kind of really sit, lurk in your heart that define purpose for you? You know, there's so many things. You're not here just to get better at that hobby that you really want to get better at. You're not here just to be respected. You're not here just to be loved and accepted by people around you. You're here to know your God. And I tell you what, there's love from him more than you'll get from anyone. And there's respect and dignity from him more than you'll get from anyone. Relationship with him is what you're wired for. And as long as you don't have that, you'll search for meaning and purpose everywhere else. But when you get it, don't go anywhere else for you know, purpose and meaning. Just camp out in that. And if you're a Christian, and I know many of us are today, just camp out in this knowledge. We're here to know him. We're here to be in relationship with him. And maybe that actually just makes a lot of sense to you. Yep. And if it's true, then it ought to make sense to us at a kind of a deep level, yeah? There ought to be something deep going on down in our spirit that kind of resonates when we hear that message, that we're here to know our God. It's muffled, you know, it's muffled by sin and our experience of life, but it ought to make sense to you. Yeah, that's it. I'm here to know my maker. And know, meaning live for, deeply enjoy my maker. It's good there, at the end of verse 27, it says, um, though he's not far from any of us. It's good to hear. It's not like he's hiding from us. If we exist to know him, then you can be sure God's not trying to make that harder than it needs to be. 
He's, he wants, he's knowable. He's not far from any of us in that his life lives in us. And look, look at verse 28. Read on with me. Um, For in him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul goes on and even quotes one of their Greek philosophers you know, who, who acknowledged that we are his offspring, meaning we come from him. Paul is using quotes from their philosophy to kind of say, yeah, yeah, that's it. In him you live and breathe and have our being. In other words, his life pumps through your veins, so there should be something deep in you that resonates with this concept of the fact that you exist to know him. The three main ways, like if, if, if it's true that you exist to know God, then he's not going to hide from you. He makes himself knowable. And there's three main ways that he makes himself knowable. He makes himself knowable so that you can... He makes himself knowable that you can look within you and know him. You can look around you and know him. And you can look back in history and know him. Just those three things. We'll finish on these. First of all, look within you. That's just what we're talking about. If, if his life is pumping through your veins, there ought to be something deep in your conscience that resonates with the fact that he exists and that he's good and that you need to know him. You, you, you can look within you to a certain extent, but that'll only get you so far. And people just get stuck there and they never end up really knowing God because that's all they've done. You can look around you you know, if it's the case that everything here is made by God, then you ought to be able to look around us at everything that's been made and that ought to speak to us about who he is. And that's exactly what the Bible will continue to say, like Psalm 19, you know, the, the skies um, proclaim the works of his hands. You, you ought to be able to look around you and look at nature and all things that are created and see his fingerprints all over all of it. And that ought to point you towards at least acknowledging there's a creator and he's good and he's intelligent and he's wonderful and he's a designer and he's beautiful. You're about to come to all kinds of conclusions, but still that's not enough to actually be able to bring you into a saving knowledge of God, a saving relationship with God. It's not enough and God knows it's not enough, which is why he does more and he actually comes in history. And he comes in the person of Jesus to actually enable us to come and really know him. And that's actually what Paul goes on to talk about here, you know, with the mention. Um, verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human hands or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So there's mention here of a man, the man he has appointed. Who is that man? Well, you read on and the next sentence tells you who the man is. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So the man is the one who's raised from the dead. It's like a verifiable historical thing that you can dig into and look at. And of course, it's talking about the man, Jesus. It's God incarnate, God coming in the person of the Son, putting on flesh, becoming the man, Jesus, living the life, the perfect life that you and I could never live. And he does it on our behalf. Then he goes willingly to the cross and dies a death in our place so that you don't need to die with your sin. He died with it. He paid for it. And then three days later, 
after really dying, he comes back from the grave and is alive again with the offer of relationship through forgiveness of sin that only he has won. It's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection, so that you and I can now put our trust in that moment in history and it's verifiable and in putting our trust in Jesus, we can step into knowing him properly because we actually get to step close into relationship with him as our sin gets dealt with. You can draw near to him. And this is the message. This is Christ. This is the one how we really get to know our God. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, Tim, this is what I believe. Well, then this is what you get to proclaim to the world you live in. This is what you get to share with others. Because if this is the truth of why we're here, then it's not just for a few of us. This is for every single person you've ever met. Their purpose is to know their maker. And the only way they can know their maker is through Jesus. And the maker has put out, he told us his main strategy for bringing a world to himself. And it's using little old you and me, his church, to live for him and proclaim the message of Jesus in a way that draws people to come and check it out. And step into relationship with him. So we get this incredible privilege to share Jesus. If this is what God has done, then really the ball is in our court as humanity. Yeah? We're responsible to respond and turn to him and know him like we should. And you can see responsibility and accountability here. Look at verse 30 and 31. I just read it a minute ago. It says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. And the word ignorance means ignorance. Have you got that? And that's a willful thing. That, that is the typical human saying, I'm going to get about this life, I'm going to enjoy all the good things in it, ignoring the one who brought it. I'm just going to get about life. That's the vast, vast majority, sadly, of all of your friends and all of your family, just willfully, politely ignoring the one who made them. But it's not okay. We're going to be held accountable. We're going to be judged on the final day when we stand before Jesus. And the judgment will not be based on how well you've lived. Ultimately, the judgment's got nothing to do with how much you've acquired, how many people you've helped, how much, you know, all those things are wonderful. Judgment comes down to this one thing. And that is whether you've come to know God through Jesus. That's it. And so it's not okay to ignore what God has done in Jesus. You know, he set a day, verse 31, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. It's not okay to go on ignoring God. It's not innocence. To willfully ignore is culpable. It's not okay for you. It's not okay for anyone. And you might even be at the point tonight where you're thinking, I don't think I've done it yet, but I, I'm feeling like I need to. Well, do it. Do it tonight. Put your trust in Jesus. Come into a saving knowledge of God through accepting what he's done for you on the cross. Do it tonight. And if you're someone who has done it, just get this core truth back into your mind and heart in a way that causes you to make decisions and live in ways that we share this with the people around us who we say we love. Now, this is it. I'm going to stop here. Um, but you, you might notice there that there's, um, there's a couple of different responses from this message that Paul gives. 
Um, there's kind of three different responses. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, which is this concept that we're all going to be raised and we'll all be judged and it'll be according to whether you know God through Jesus. When some of them heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered. So some of you might be sitting here tonight going, you're sneering, whatever that is, in your heart. You're just scoffing. You're just going, See, this bloke sounds like he's getting a little bit excited about something. Yeah, I don't reckon. I reckon it's just about enjoying life or whatever. I think it's about being a good person. I'm going to stick to that. You might be sneering at this message. Um, very dangerous to sneer for your whole life. I don't care if you sneer at me. That's all right. I don't want to take myself so seriously that I care about that. But to sneer at the message of God and what he's done in history, very serious. Um, and, and if you're someone who's trying to share this message, you can expect some people to sneer. It's always happened. Some sneer. Um, but others said, um, we want to hear you again on the subject. There will be people who just catch a glimpse of this and want to hear more. Maybe that's you tonight as well. Maybe you're like, yeah, I think I'm getting it, but I need to hear more. Well, keep getting yourself to the place where you hear more. You know, keep getting more of this into you. We hope to run Foundations again next term, which is the, a course that we run for like five Tuesday nights in a row where we go through the foundations of the Christian faith. And maybe that's something that you need to lock in for, keep it in your mind and heart and get to. Or maybe you've got a friend or a family member who you think, yeah, I need to invite them to foundations. Um, God willing, we'll be able to do that next term. It'll depend on where we've got our location for church and how that works and all that kind of stuff. But hopefully that's coming. But then look, it goes on as well. Um, verse 33, at that Paul left the council, some of the people became followers. There's the third response, the best response. The only response is to get this why right and become a follower of Jesus. Know God through Jesus. That's what life's about. Let me pray for us. I'll stop there. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We need to hear the core truths over and over again. We need to hear again that we are created by you. We need to know that we're living in your world. We need to know that our ultimate purpose and meaning for being here is to know you through Jesus. Would you help us by your spirit? to actually have that in the forefront of our minds and remember it regularly. And Lord, would that knowledge and that truth direct the course of our lives so that we can live the way you made us to live, but ultimately so that you would get the honour that you deserve for being the Lord of all creation. And the people said, Amen, through their masks.